to Scroll, a University Fellowship Church podcast. My name is Chris Moore. We get together and we chew on God's Word, talk about Christian living, all kinds of stuff. This week we have with us Sean Duncan. It's me. Sean Duncan. Always a pleasure to see you. Um, College pastor of the Good Fight Here. Yep. And um, we are in Matthew. We are in Matthew. We are in Matthew. We're in Matthew. We are. Yeah. You and I. Yeah. Probably no one else that you're meeting with. And and we're not going very far. Yeah. (laughs) Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. Um, So for for every listener who has ever heard me on this podcast so far, I have only ever talked about the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the book of Matthew. Yeah. One trick pony. Yep. uh, Honestly. (laughs) So I am continuing that. Um, we're we're going to look at the, the next section. So we've been just going sequentially. If this is your first time hopping into the Sermon on the Mount with me, um, no worries. I'll just give you a recap real quick. So it's Sermon on the Mount is in the book of Matthew. It goes from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. It's the longest recorded teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. And it, the Sermon on the Mount starts with all these people who have been following Jesus. His disciples are coming to him and he's, he goes up on a mountain and he sits down. And when he sits down, his disciples came to him. And then once they they sit down, Jesus begins to pronounce all these blessings on them. So he speaks eight blessings over them with a bonus ninth one, telling them that because they're his disciple, they are blessed as a follower of Christ. And then the, he gives them these new identities. He says that they're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And they're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden and then he he tells them that their good works, when when they're doing their good works, their, their following of Christ, that they are shining like lights and it gives glory to their father who is in heaven. Then uh, he turns from speaking to his disciples about who they are and he begins to address who he is. So he says that he came not to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, he hasn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. He hasn't come to start a new religion or a new movement. He sees himself as fulfilling the law and the prophets, which is a term for the Old Testament. So both the contents of the Old Testament and the scriptures themselves, he is concluding it. He is fulfilling it. It's like a cup that's empty and he's filling it up to its completion. So Jesus is bringing the law, the not only the scriptures, but actually the laws in the scriptures, bringing them to the completion. So what he does for the remainder of chapter 5 from verse 21 through 48 is he addresses all of these Um, case study laws that are either from the Old Testament or are being circulated by Pharisees and scribes at this time. And so he's addressing laws that are being used, misused, and abused, or even added on to the Torah. And he corrects a misunderstanding. So we're going to look at one of those laws and see how Jesus says, this is the intended purpose of that law. So I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about just a few pieces. Okay. Great. Okay. So this is Matthew 5. Um, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, so that's the the text that we're thinking about. 
So first he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. He's referring to basically the Israelites' forefathers, the people of the Old Testament, thinking all the way back to the people who came out of Egypt and entered into a covenant at Mount Sinai with, with God through Moses. And he's actually quoting one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. Like We've all heard that one, whether Christian or non-Christian, we've heard that. And, and Christian and non-Christian, probably everybody listening would agree you shall not murder. Like, don't, seems, seems like a good idea. Yeah, don't murder people. You know, That's like <laughs> rule number one to being a decent human being. Don't murder. Uh, and one distinction that I do think is helpful um, here at UFC, I've been teaching the Bible Project, which is a year-long reading through um, through the Bible. And one, one question that came up recently was uh, how come some people are, are able to um, put people to death under God's judgment, yet there's also this command, you shall not murder. So there is a distinction between killing and murder. There is such a thing as just and unjust killing. Um, we don't have time to go into that. But the, the idea of murder is that it's an unjust killing of someone. You're unjustly taking someone's life, either out of anger or, or some sort of malice. You are taking someone's life. <clears throat> But then there is a little addition. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's not actually a quote from the Old Testament. That's more of an assumption because in the Old Testament, there's judges that are set up um, in the nation of Israel. That they're, they're basically like uh, court deciders. When a case comes, they give judgment according to the laws that had been given. So that's what the people are hearing. They've heard that from the Bible. They've heard that from their religious leaders. And now Jesus corrects them because here's what had happened. Um, they hear that law and they think, okay, I can't murder people. But. But. <laughs> right. Exactly. That, that's exactly what's happening. I can't murder people, but I could. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then you fill in the blank. So the entire law, which we'll see every time I meet with you and we talk about some of these, the laws of the Old Testament, they're not just given to stop an action or to tell you how far you can go they're mm -hmm. actually meant to not only stop a certain action but to turn you the opposite direction and make you face the other way uh, so this would be one of those ones where it's it's meant to turn you the other way and create something new in you and that's that's what jesus is going to explain next he's going to explain the purpose of that law so he says but i say to you you don't need to know greek or ever learn Greek, but it's fun to say this in Greek. It's, uh, <laughs> I just need to make sure that I'm getting it right. It's ego de lego. <laughs> Somebody needs to sue the ego company. Lego, ego. Yes, ego de lego. So ego means I, the word day is the word but, and then lego means I say. So what's happening is he actually is saying I twice. He's referring to himself twice. So I, but I say to you, so it's, he is emphatically emphasizing himself as the authority, which is a pretty big deal because in the Old Testament prophets said, thus says the Lord, the Lord says, but here Jesus is saying, but I, I say to you, so Jesus is becoming the authority of the word and he's not sourcing it outside of himself to God because he is God. Right. So, so that's just awesome right there. Every time Jesus is saying, but I say to you, he is, um, every time he is taking that authority, he is taking up the, the mantle and authority that only God possesses in the Bible. So, so right here, we're seeing Jesus acting as God, which is cool. Yeah. But he says, I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So he says that the person who's 
angry with a, a brother, ang- angry with someone, is going to be liable to the same judgment as a murderer. They're also going to stand before a trial. Now, wait a minute, Sean. I know. I've been angry. Yes. And I have a brother. Yes. And I've been angry with him amongst many other people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so and, help and me so, unpack this. And so have I, and so have many other people. So what Jesus is drawing a straight line to right away, and he'll do this again in other laws, is is from some sort of external action to an internal motivator. That murder. Why do people murder others? Well, either they're sadistic and crazy, or they're angry. Uh, so he's drawing a straight line from an action to um, to a motivator that's taking place in the heart, in your in your thought process, in your volition. And what he's saying is that the moment you hate someone is the moment you are unjustly taking their life from them in your heart and, wow. and you're committing murder. And, and the way God will judge is he's not just going to hold accountable a murderer, but also someone who gets angry at someone and discredits someone in their heart. Um, so all of a sudden the playing field has become very level to all listeners, both the person who has committed physical murder and the person who has just been angry like you. Yeah. You're not, you're not getting the, yeah, maybe I thought about it a lot, mm-hmm. but I never did it yeah like those people they're not getting out of this yeah and and then he, he there's a little triad here so the person who's angry will be liable to the same judgment whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council or to the uh the sanhedrin the the 70 elders of israel who convene to give these judgments uh, and so, so to think about insults the word for for insult when you're insulting someone you are you are discrediting their character you're you're actually you're killing their character in your own heart or verbally to other people. Mm-hmm. You, you are committing verbal murder of someone's reputation when you insult them. And then the third piece of the triad is, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That one's super extreme. Oof. I know. <laughs> so you fool. What, what he's not saying is the English words you fool, right? Uh, he, Jesus wasn't speaking uh, English. I don't so know, man. If, if, <laughs> If you're being funny and you say you fool, you're not committing a sin. But when you call someone a fool, what you're what you're saying is you are you are insignificant and, and you are you are so dumb that you are not worth my time or my energy or people's value. Right. That's a big deal. That's a much bigger deal. Yeah. Than and, don't and, be a fool. <laughs> and we do that a lot to people. Yeah. We we do tear people's uh, names down and their reputations down. He says that, that person who uh, just lashes out with an insult that they're going to be liable or held accountable to the hell of fire. So this is the first time Jesus starts talking about hell in the Bible. And it's about people who are just insulting other people. Yeah. Not the murderers. Not the murderers. No, no. He goes straight to the people who are murdering in their hearts. Wow. Very, very intense. Um, And then he's going to give two examples for how this plays out. But before we go there, I want to go to first John. First John chapter three, I think. Oh, I spelled John wrong. <laughs> I spelled it with a double J. Sean is a John, professional. <laughs> first John 3. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. In other words, the beginning of time, the beginning of the Bible. That we should love one another. That we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. He was following the snake. He was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother 
is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Mm. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So there is John, the apostle, now a church leader, who you know was with Jesus for a long time, and, and he understands the same message that that hate is murder, but he, he also gives some clarity of what was the direction it's supposed to turn us in and push us towards was love, sacrificial love. Rather than, than sacrificing people out of anger, you sacrifice for people out of love. So that's the direction it was always supposed to be pointing us to is, is um, we're, we're guilty in our hate, but through Christ, we're restored to be able to love one another and care about each other. Rather than tear people down, we build people up. And that's the language that Paul uses all the time. So then back in Matthew, Jesus uses two examples for how this plays out. So if you're offering a gift at the altar, and in other words, if you're, you're at church and you're worshiping, your hands are up, you're just like, you're singing out the bridge for the seventh time. <laughs> If you're worshiping and you remember that your brother has something against you, in, in other words, um, you have done something wrong and your so your brother or your sister, someone has confronted you about it, but you haven't done anything about this. Le- leave your gift there. Stop worshiping because you haven't dealt with this situation. You've been unrepentant of the situation. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So this is priority number one is in our, our hate, maybe we wrong someone. And Jesus wants us to be reconciled. And at least right here, the picture of reconciliation between two people is um, you've offended someone, so you offer an apology. You say, I am sorry, I was wrong. And because they've already confronted you about it. And, and you become reconciled and you forgive one another and you become um you become harmonious again that, okay, we have forgiven each other. The past is in the past. Now we can worship together in the same place at the same time, worshiping the same God. That's example number one. Then the second example he gives is come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. So uh, here's how this is playing out. Like You are walking to court with maybe me. All right, you and I, Chris, we're walking to court. Who wronged you? I'll, okay. t- I'll take it. I All wronged right. you. You wronged me. <laughs> yes, you wronged me. And we're walking to Brett. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go talk to Brett and because I'm going to be like, hey, Chris wronged me in this way. and That's I, a jerk. I, I, want, I want dad Brett to like solve the issue here. So what he's saying is that, Chris, you should solve the issue with me before we get there. In other words, you should say, you're right. I did wrong you. I'm sorry. You should apologize. Otherwise, he says... Once you get to the judge, um, a judgment will be given and you who did the wrong, you'll be found guilty and you'll be handed over to the guard and then you'll be put in prison. And then he says, verse 26, truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. In, in other words, when we are, don't pursue reconciliation with each other, when we don't apologize to each other and, and receive the forgiveness from our brothers and sisters in Christ, Effectively, what we're doing is we're also denying ourselves the forgiveness that God offers us because the church is the body of Christ. The way we experience the forgiveness of Christ is through his body. So we're actually denying ourselves of those things when we don't apologize. And that's when it gets super serious. And that's why he says that you'll be put in prison. You'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. In other words, you won't get out. Right. Yeah. So for 
for the person at home who is thinking, you know, maybe this is uh, scratching some things inside of them that it's making them uncomfortable and going, well, you know, I don't know that I've had hate in my heart mm. for somebody. What what would you suggest for that person who maybe is kind of trying to backpedal or is feeling uncomfortable about this? I'd say if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's because you have hated someone. Um, I don't think you have to be too introspective to realize that you've you've hated people or insulted someone. So it's not just hate, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not just a a deep emotional and volitional bitterness towards someone. It's also when you just insult someone inappropriately and an out of context and you wrong someone's character. When you say, gosh, that person's so dumb. Well, uh, I, I, if you haven't said something along those lines about anyone, I would love to meet you and, and learn your secret. <laughs> um, so here's here uh, the all these case studies that Jesus is going to do. Here's why he's doing it. Because immediately you feel guilty. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm a murderer. Mm-hmm. I'm at least murder in my heart. And why he's doing this is because in verse 20, he had just said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's laying it out. What does it mean for your righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Well, let's talk about what the standards are. And he's going through and he's giving the picture of the standards. And what we're realizing is that we are not more righteous and we never will be. And that's why in verse 48, he says, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What we will realize as we just work through the rest of chapter five and just this section is that we are not righteous on our own. And we must depend on the righteousness of someone else because we are guilty. And left to our own devices, we will stand before the council and we will be liable to the hell of fire. We need rescue. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's fulfilling this law that he's talking about right now. Jesus never hated someone. He never insulted the, their character wrongly. Uh, he never called anyone a, a name that was undeserved or unjust or unfair. Jesus fulfills this law because we couldn't, so that we could be seen as righteous, as perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So this should both convict you and comfort you in this story. So with that in mind, if somebody is listening and they go, oh, well then, does this apply to me? If, if the point was to uh, set the bar so high that we knew without without any question mm-hmm. we failed mm-hmm. um, and then the purpose then would be turned to Christ so does does a person need to leave church and reconcile before they return back to worship do they need to take it this seriously if if they read this and they think oh the whole point is just to show I'm bad I know I'm bad well the, so the whole point is not just to show that you're bad uh, Jesus is actually giving the people an ethic to live by here is how you live as a follower of Jesus because and the language that will be used later by the Apostle Paul and other uh, apostles who write New Testament letters, they'll say, put on Christ, meaning everything that Jesus is and did and does, we embody, we embrace, and we clothe ourselves in those um, behaviors because we are becoming like Christ and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another in the same likeness as Christ. So if you're not pursuing less hate, less anger, less frustration in your heart, you're not pursuing Christ. This is how we follow Christ is we um, we reconcile with each other because Christ has reconciled us to God. We we forgive one another because Christ has forgiven us and we, we build people up rather than tear people down because Christ has done that for us. So yes, this does apply to us. Now there's no altars that we're offering our gifts at, but there is ways that we worship. And if we we feel pretentious and prideful that well, we're really good worshipers, but 
someone's also been confronting me about my sin multiple times and I haven't repented of it. And they're, they're definitely right. Well, that would be a better act of worship than singing the bridge for the seventh time. So yeah, I think it does apply for us now. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Serious stuff. I appreciate you breaking that down. And, uh, I love to see practical things applied, especially within the body of Christ, you know, where we could read this and it'd, it'd be really easy to just cruise on past mm-hmm. and go, well, yeah, that's, that sounds terrible. Glad I got Jesus yeah, and and not stop to go, oh no, this stuff applies to me right now yep. in my, in the operation of the body. Yep. Cool. Yep. Sean, pleasure as always. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we'll get you next time. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's Word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week, so please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples.